Welcome to Islamabad Rock City, Episode 5. Today we're talking about U2 in the 1980s. Uh, as usual, I'm joined by my broadcast partner from across the seas, Imran. What's good? Same old, same old, man. Um, thanks for the intro again. Um, yeah. I was wondering, um, have you ever heard the uh, intro to like most uh, rock radio stations in uh, Canada and the United States? I have not, no. Like it's something standard like this. It goes the riff 107, where we only play all the hits from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. If it rocks, we play it. Uh, That's awesome, man. Yeah, and I was wondering, does UK have the same format or no? It does not. No. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> it's much, much, much more low key, man. It's much more low key. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. It's. It's. Um, yeah. So every time I, when you start the podcast, I always uh, think of. Uh, those kind of uh, garbage radio stations that keep playing the same stuff. For <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Man. Fair. Maybe next time I can do something on that. <laughs> yeah, that would be yeah, interesting. Yeah. That would be interesting. Cool. Uh, yeah, I guess before we go on, uh, yeah, I uh, just want to give a shout out to uh, our guitarists. So uh, Atif uh, uh, did an gr- excellent uh, electric guitar intro for, for this episode. And uh, last time we had Nasser, who was in the outro for this episode. So big thanks to Atif and Nasser for their guitar work. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you so much. Um, it's uh, and you know this is what I love about this podcast. Rather than you know, it's just becoming like a community based kind of uh, project now. Oh yeah, absolutely, and uh, it makes me very happy, man. And both of us, you know, it's uh, it's great, great to get the community involved. Um, so yeah, thank you guys, and keep listening. All right. Now, now that we've gone uh, from, um, you know, giving our uh, thanks to the uh, guys providing the intro and outro. Yep. So, uh, Ahmed, what have you seen lately? Uh, seen anything great? Yeah, actually, man, I, I got to see the uh, Sound City documentary by uh, Dave Grohl. Uh, I know you've been at me mm-hmm. for almost a year to watch it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, I finally, finally got around to it and uh, really enjoyed it, man. Really, really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. That's all. Yeah, thanks for that recommendation. It was awesome. Yeah, no problem. Um, starting off, uh, what were your favorite moments in this uh, documentary? Uh, so for me, I didn't know a lot about um, this actual studio, mm-hmm. right? So I always pictured Sound City would be like some high-tech studio, you know, in the hills somewhere with like, you know, a, a pool in the back. Right. And uh, yeah, it was a shock for me. It was kind of like a rundown, <laughs> right. you know down and dirty uh dirt on the walls kind of studio but Mm -hmm. what i was surprised about is how many artists recorded there and um how many albums were actually made there Mm -hmm. you know it went on for quite a while that was amazing i didn't know that right right and um what what did you think about the uh technical aspects of the recording studio itself yeah i thought that was really that was really interesting because they kind of resisted the um uh, you know the ch- the digital change that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I guess in the nineties or late eighties, mm-hmm. and they stuck with their uh, old mixing board. Mm-hmm. And I thought they had a they kept a lot of integrity in what they're doing. Right. Um, and the sound is slightly different. I see when you do it that way. You know, and I was really interested that they made um, like a, a soundtrack album to this documentary, right? Using the old mixing board, that was really cool you know yeah and uh very authentic you know what i mean keeping it real and keeping it like 
old school and um it just goes to show that it's not always technology that wins out mm-hmm. you know sometimes uh you know the old old ways are still right. good yeah because if i recall correctly you had actually taken a class in uh was it mixing or um uh yeah it was uh when i was doing my uh, it stuff uh kind of like editing mm-hmm. um music production kind of thing uh, it was a very long time okay ago, so, so <laughs> i don't remember right. much but it was just kind of taking little instrumentals and uh, mixing them together mm-hmm. cutting that kind of stuff yeah because you do the editing for our podcast as well right yeah, yeah so, i'm sorry go ahead uh yeah so that kind of is in my muscle memory even though i didn't it was a long mm-hmm. time ago it kind of came back right. some of that stuff Right. Yeah. And I, and the reason I asked you that was because I always thought that there would be of uh, particular interest to you um, because considering you're the only one that I know that has actually done anything with regards to like technical mixing. So I thought this might, you know, something watching how they constructed these albums would be something of your interest. Yeah, you're absolutely right, man. And uh, I've been in that mode. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I've watched other documentaries which are similar, like The Art of Organized right. Noise, which covers the um, you know outcast producers and um, the Defiant Ones with uh, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Mm-hmm. Dre and the albums they produced, you know, with uh, NWA and then Jimmy Iovine with U2 right. and Bruce Springsteen. So I've been in that mode for a little while and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun right, right now. Sure. Um, and speaking of which, uh, did you, so you also knew that in that same sound studio, they had had produced, uh, I think Tom Petty's first album. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, that, and uh, how did you, how do you, how do you like that album? Uh, yeah, I like it quite a lot. I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of Tom Petty. So, um, I mean, I have to confess, I haven't heard every okay, single album okay. he's recorded, but Fair enough. I've definitely heard, uh, at least five or six and then. The rest is more like greatest hits. But uh, yeah, I thought that was a really right. good album. You know, um, the thing was, uh, because you had watched that documentary, and that, and I think you watched it a few weeks after, I mean, a week after we had done our last podcast. So it got me to yeah. um, listen. You know, I just I was like, Yo, you know what? I'm just going to listen to some more classic rock. So for me, what I was listening to was uh, Faces and Tom Petty, Stevie Nicks, Roxy Music, I think Rolling Stones, uh, Sticky Fingers, and uh, Exile on Main Street. Wow, quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's quite a lot. Actually, it was very quite a lot. And um, and the one thing I wanted, and also I was listening to a little bit of uh, EPMD oh, nice. as well. Keeping it real. Yeah, so I just went back. Yeah, yeah. So I went classic rock and classic nice, hip hop nice. for both uh, both things. And um Sorry, Sorry good question. Uh, Faces, is that Rod Stewart's old band? Yes. And, um, oh. you know, <laughs> and it's so funny because, you know, we knew Rod Stewart. I mean, well, actually, I knew Rod Stewart from If You Think I'm Sexy, which is a fun song, but, you know, it's not a <laughs> – Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't call it, like, a great song. But if you listen to, you know, Faces, and um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a particular sound – that I really like. And um, what it is, is it's a, uh, it feels like it's really wound up really tight, really tight. Mm, like yeah. uh, listening to the Libertines uh, first and second album, listening oh, yeah, to yeah. Uh, Kings of Leon first and second album. And you're, yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah. yeah. So you think in, in aspects like, man, that's wound up so tight. You're going to break. You're just going to break because it, you can't, you can't play that tight. And Faces is like that. And I highly recommend checking out their first album. All right. I'll do that, man. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. A very underrated band. Um, even, um, you know, like I think um, uh, 
they were I don't think they made it across the pond as much and people that know music know yeah. faces there because I think it was also uh the Rolling Stone guitarist Ronnie yeah uh, Ronnie Wood yeah Ronnie he Wood. was in faces yeah he was in faces yeah. as well so uh, I again highly recommend it if you get a chance just check out the first album and then if you like it then go on to the other albums as well Awesome, awesome. I will, man. Uh, anything else? Uh, uh, just you... Roxy music as well. And that, again, because, you know, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, because, okay. uh, you know, you were going into that phase and I was like, oh, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to listen to this stuff. Um, so what have you been listening to? Uh, yeah, so I've uh, haven't heard as much stuff as you, but I've been list- going through the Queen uh, mm-hmm. back catalog. Right. Um, and I, I continued with the Weezer back catalog. I actually got to Pinkerton. Yes. So tell us, tell us, tell us more about that album. What was your opinions <laughs> and everything? I love the album, man. I was, um, well, I have to confess when the first song, I was like, oh, this is going to be this emo crybaby mm-hmm. kind of album. Right. But as the album went on, I was like, whoa, this is really good. And I probably my favorite Weezer album so far. Wow. Uh, I've got still three more to go. So. I'm towards the end now. So the first album I haven't heard and the two after Pinkerton. And then I'm done with Weezer. Yeah. But yeah, it's really, really good, man. Wow. And um, that is so, yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. I didn't think it was going to become your favorite album. I thought, uh, I thought you would say it's an interesting album, but I'm surprised yeah. that it became your favorite album and, and happy in that sense. Yeah. Because I think a lot of Weezer I feel is kind of young, mm-hmm. like their lyrics. I can see that appealing to teenagers or, you know, very young people, but I, I just enjoy them. They're yeah, just really good bands. They are. They are. Um, I think uh, it's a. It's a. I think they're also a very tight band as well. Yeah, yeah. They're. Um, uh, there was one really interesting track. I don't know if you heard mm-hmm. it. It's on the Ratitude album by Weezer. Okay. Um, it has like sitar and a Hindi singer, and he sings a little Hindi himself. The lead singer. Oh, really? Like one line. Yeah, it's called Love. Uh, I think Love something. It's on Ratitude. Okay. And they brought in, yeah, they brought in like a sitar player, and uh, and that was like really different. To um, uh, love is the answer. That's the name. Love is the answer. Wow. So uh, that was a really, really good. It's actually a good song as well. Wow. So I thought, oh, that's kind of random for Weezer to do something like yeah. that. that. That's not their. They style, just went but... totally Beatles White album on that, huh? Yeah, yeah. So it, it was just that one song. The rest of this album is like usual Weezer, right. you know, melodies and whatever. But this mm-hmm. one song, it's just like wow. That's interesting. I'd love to know the story behind yeah. that. Yeah, that, that's uh, again. I'd have to uh, revisit that particular mm-hmm. one. And uh, you know, the unfortunate thing is, I've only heard Pinkerton like maybe once or twice. So um, I'll probably try to listen to it next week. See if I can get a chance to check out Weezer's uh, Pinkerton. Is uh, like I said. I mean, uh, so I guess you saw the genius in it as well. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, Weezer for me isn't genius, but I like them okay, quite a okay. lot. You know, they're. Uh, very solid, solid yeah band. solid solid band that's a i think that's a fair assessment yeah so uh yeah today we're talking about you two in the 1980s so um yeah so you know the first thing i'm going to ask you about is do you remember the first time you and i ever talked about you two i do not know again it was 96 and going back to one of our favorite soundtracks for a film was the batman soundtrack batman forever soundtrack <laughs> yeah. and and it was uh, uh, U2's Thrill Me, Kill Me, Kiss Me. Oh, yeah. I completely forgot about that song. Or maybe it's the other way around. Yeah. yeah. And I said, oh, I like that song. And you're like, oh, it's a terrible song. How could you like that song? <laughs> <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was our first uh, conversation about U2. 
Yeah, I think you too. At that time, all I knew was the sweetest thing, which you, the music video used to come on uh, MTV, and mm-hmm. I liked that song. Yes, that, that was really about it. Really, I didn't really hear anything much. Um, you know, I was much mm-hmm. older. Right. Uh, oh, okay. So you know, all right. So that that um, yeah, I think uh, I was when the sweetest thing came out. I'd gotten pretty much into you two then. Um, and the reason, you know, I mean, I think it came really from listening to Rage Against the Machine. And they were like, oh, this is one of our favorite bands. And then I, you know, went that route. Okay. So, yeah. So um, I'll start off with, um, you know, my, because this was one of my favorite bands. This is my favorite band, right? Like, uh, if I was to say, yeah, if I was to say that, um, uh, you know, New Order is my favorite band, then for the most important band for me is U2. Right. So, and, and there's a bit of a difference in both aspects of it. So, you know, um, uh, and I think it, um, it's significant for me. And I'll tell you what it is. It's like, um, I would listen to you two the way you listen to the Beatles. And, mm. um, and you know, it's, it goes back to, you know, when I got back into the back catalog, it was like falling in love all over again. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, and this, and I think this is what this podcast is really all about. That you know, when we were both sitting in our respective bedrooms back in the day, and listening to albums, and just you know, just that, uh, I guess, uh, you know, understanding ourselves, understanding the world around us. You two was that for me. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't know, I didn't know that. And um, yeah, and. Yeah, and, and you know, it's again coming back to it is, and this is why we got in this podcast. This is why we got into this is because, hey, man, there's a lot of albums that we really love, and um, both you and I shoot the shoot the crap about, bo- yeah, uh, yeah. you know, all albums, and um, and I listen because of you. I got really into you know listening to the the Beatles, and I think those albums, especially when they quote unquote started taking drugs. I think that was when the Beatles really became fantastic. Like I was Absolutely. like, what? Absolutely. They... Yeah. And for me, from uh, rubber, rubber soul is mm-hmm. especially onwards. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's what, you know, I think, uh, and I saw the genius. I was like, Oh, this is, this is, you can't, you can't touch this. You cannot touch this. And they forever yeah. wrote the format for rock going forward. Yeah. Well, um, they're the best-selling band in the world still, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, closely followed by Elvis. Yeah, um, almost seven hundred million records sold. So right, doesn't lie. <laughs> Numbers don't lie. Yeah. All right, so let's get started with the uh, first album. Um, so yeah, yeah. what uh, the first album is Boy. Yes. Um. So so orig- it's produced by Steve Lillywhite. Are you familiar with Steve Lillywhite or no? Uh, no, I'm not, man. To be honest, uh, none of these producers I've heard of. Okay. Because. Uh, so yeah, go on. Go uh, on. So Steve Lillywhite, he's from the UK, and um, he's done a lot of like fantastic, like um, I want to say like uh, post-punk albums, and also um, I think he's done a couple of um, um, uh, like uh, rock albums as well. And mm-hmm. uh, this is the guy that's famous for. It. And get this, this is the most interesting thing I read about him. And. Uh, I, Again, you know, I, I like Steve Lillywhite, but I just thought he was completely wrong on this opinion. He was given a chance to produce the first um, Guns N' Roses album, Appetite for Destruction. 
Oh, really? That's so interesting. Yeah, and he turned it down. And he said because of <laughs> – yeah, it's funny. He's like, I have to connect with the singer, and I just didn't like Axl Rose. He just sounds like a pub singer to me. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, okay. I, you know, I mean, again, I was like flabbergasted. I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't think that's really an accurate, you know. Yeah, you're wrong. Yeah, mate. you're definitely <laughs> wrong on that one. Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, it was supposed to be produced by Martin Hannett, uh, who is the producer of Joy Division. And you two went in with him. Yeah, yeah. But he was coming fresh from the suicide of... Um, oh, the Joy Eden. Division. The singer. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, he was just not in the right frame of mind. So, they switched over to Steve Lillywhite. Okay. So, again, uh, what, was your, what was your opinion on Boy? I like by quite, uh, quite a lot. Uh, a lot more mm-hmm. than I... Um, you know, because these albums I've never heard, right? So right. it was completely fresh. Uh, so mm-hmm. I really liked it. Uh, you know, in particular, liked uh, I Will Follow, Twilight, and Another mm-hmm. Time, Another Place. Yeah, but great. Well, I thought wow. the album in, in general, like, was, was pretty good. There isn't really a terrible song on there. It's, you know, it's quite solid. No, no. Yeah, I would have to say that, too. Um, how did you feel about the tightness of the album? Uh, yeah, I liked it. I liked it, you know. Yeah, did you feel... Uh, Go on. You two are very, um, like you say, tight, you know, very precise. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing I like, but maybe that's one thing that sometimes I dislike. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Let, let's uh, Tell me what you, what you dislike. I, I'm really interested in hearing that. Yeah, because the thing is, to be honest, I've never mm-hmm. got, you know, I, I always liked you two. I had their greatest hits. Mm-hmm. You know, I liked their songs but i never got why they were as big as they were like right. in terms of record sales critical um, appreciation and love mm-hmm. um i just find them a little lacking of an edge right uh, put it that way no pun intended um, yeah yeah no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah it's just uh, some of the guitar uh, music um guitar and you know songs sound a little bit similar mm-hmm. sometimes you know, especially right. the guitar. Um, I think there was mm-hmm. like a famous British comedian who did like a skit about, you know, how they, about that. But um, so that was the only thing I would say as a negative. But overall, I really, I really liked the album. Right. Um, and that's, uh, I, you know what, I, I, um, I see that point, like how every song does sound the same. Um, there's, and I think with all three albums, right? Like, uh, boy, October and war, yeah. right? You would say you would agree. I definitely agree. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think, you know, coming from me, like, I think, uh, and it's again, you know, it's different tastes and stuff. So when I heard boy, I'm like, Oh, I want more of this. So they give us two more albums. Yeah. That was more of that, you know? So for anybody that liked that and said, Oh, I want more of that. They got more of that. So yeah. So I think, uh, and three is good. Like if you have a magic formula, I think uh, if you go three albums doing that magic formula, then, you know, you can, um, I think that's that's enough for a taste and you can expand your sound. Yeah, I mean, they were starting off, so I understand that. I completely understand that. Mm-hmm. But, um, right. I mean, I feel about that U2 in general, like even, even later on. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that towards the end. Uh, what sure. were your? Uh, did you like uh, any favorite songs on Boy? Like, uh, or just yeah. all of it? Uh, so for me, you know what? I really loved the entire album. I love the flow of yeah, the it's album. Yeah, solid, right? isn't it? It's a, it's yeah. a really good album. 
Um, lyrically, it was very youthful. Um, you know, it's uh, it's what a twenty year old writes yeah. about, which is right? fair enough because they were probably around that age when they wrote it. Yeah, so. and you know, believe it or not, it reminded me of a lot of uh, Oasis's first album. Oh, really? In terms of lyrical content. Ah, uh, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't connect that dot, but okay, that's right? Uh, and I'll tell you how because. Yeah. If you li- if you listen lyrically to Oasis's first album, you can see the youth. Yes, yes. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, you know, like it's it's definitely written by somebody in his uh, mid to early twenties. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. I got you. You know, uh, again, yeah. So um, uh, Noel Gallagher, you you know his uh, his. Um, his youthful aspirations are in that in that album, and I feel the same way with Bono as well. That they're just young guys, just young guys trying to make some songs, and that's that. And that's how I I, I felt about that first album. Nice man. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, should we move on to October? Yeah. So how did you? Okay. So start out. I'm gonna ask you how you felt uh, about this um, album, and I'll give you a little background on this as well. Uh, kind of the same. So uh, I enjoyed the album. Um, so I really mm-hmm. liked it. Gloria. Uh, yes. Strangers in a Strange Land and Fire. Those three songs. Yes. Uh, but overall, well, again, three... another solid uh, effort. And uh, mm-hmm. like you said, a continuation of Boy, more or less. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, uh, lyrically, this is where they depart from, you know, the Oasis kind of uh, lyrical content. And uh, in October, they have a strong emphasis on God. Um, it's because the three members, I think, excluding, uh, Adam Clayton, the, uh, bass player yep. had joined this, um, I guess, uh, I want to say like a, uh, organization called the fellowship and, um, All right. so it's a, I, I, yeah, yeah. So I believe it's a very, uh, a, a liberal slant tour in Christianity. Okay. So they had joined this, uh, religious, uh, organization and you know they and they were you know thinking about like how they would deal with religion and the rock and roll lifestyle oh that's really interesting i had no idea <laughs> yeah so i mean did you hear any like did you did you like any by any chance look into the lyrical content of this album at all or no or I just, mean, uh, yeah i just just close my, you know i just listen to the albums without okay okay reading okay. anything at all just so i can appreciate them without any outside uh, you know influence okay yeah. okay yeah so um, usually when i like a song that's what is this the next thing i do is go straight to the lyrics uh, sometimes i get terribly disappointed but sometimes <laughs> it's uh, magic right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yes um and um you know it's um uh, so it's it's moving away from that um then we move on to um and i agree with you Gloria again, great song, and that's and you're and you know I think um, and this is it works differently for everyone. I like Edge's guitar sound, so I was really into Gloria's. I liked uh, that you know the Edge's sound. Yeah, it's a very it's a very distinct sound. Anytime you hear it, you're like, oh, that's the Edge playing the guitar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I understand completely, man. So yep. Um. So next up so, was War, I guess, right? Yeah. War. Yep. Uh, this so, was actually my favorite of the first three albums, and maybe nice. my favorite album of the 80s. Okay. 
um, it's hard to say, but I really like this album. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday is my favorite U2 song. Right. And I really like New Year's Day and Surrender. Right. But I like the theme of the album. I like the sound. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, for the first three, this would be my favorite from the first three. Yes. Uh, I think with War, um, they had... Uh... They had they had moved away from kind of like uh, you know youth and being young to being like you know social commentary and also yeah, political uh, social commentary yeah. yeah definitely yeah yeah you can see the change right here in this album right and um, you know it's um, it goes into uh, that uh, theme again um, just the young guys that are, and I think Ireland was going through a lot of uh, issues at that time too, political issues. Uh, yeah, I mean, they've been going through a lot over mm-hmm. several hundred years. Right. Um, so I was happy that they kind of addressed some of those issues in this album. Yes. Being being Irish and being proud and, you know, yeah. I'm very sympathetic with the Irish. I've always gotten along really well with Irish people. So Yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed yeah. Part. I agree as well. Um, you know, I think uh, it's um, that kind of, uh, you know, their battle cry becomes our, uh, you know, becomes, um, I guess, uh, very interesting to us and very, um, uh, I guess, appealing as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you can definitely relate, you know, as, as a human mm-hmm. being to, to what they're talking about. Right. So um, I would uh, my favorite song was Seconds. Oh well, obviously Sunday Bloody Sunday, but Seconds was one like one of my favorite songs on that album. Okay, yeah, yeah nice, nice. You yeah, know, good uh, choice. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it starts off as a uh, you know, um, with that edge sound and plus uh, Larry Mullen Jr. who's drumming on there. Uh, I actually wanted to ask you, what did you think of uh, in all three albums uh, the drumming? Uh, I didn't really pay that much attention to it. To be honest, okay, but... okay. <laughs> Yeah, for uh, me, like the prominent is uh, the prominent sound that comes out is obviously Bono's voice, number mm-hmm. one, and that edges um, guitar and guitar effects. Right, right, right. Uh, but it was solid. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're a great band, like in terms of uh, the, the way they play together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, you know, I have nothing bad to say about that. It's, right. It's very, very good. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, for me. I've always loved Larry Mullen Jr. Um, it's. Um, you know, I always found his drumming to be very tight. You know, he's um, he sounds like he's should be in a it sounds like he's in a punk band, but he's not. He actually he grew up playing uh, jazz. He enjoyed jazz music. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Probably why he's so good. <laughs> yeah, so that's why he's so good. I mean, um, some of the greatest uh, you know um, drummers have come from jazz. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, say, oh, I mean, any instrument you can play in jazz, you can play anything. Yeah, you know, it's jazz and blues. Mm-hmm. That's what it's and so, um, his input into those albums was great. And uh, by the time those three albums were done, um, Larry Mullen Jr. was like, he's like, listen, I don't want to be in a punk band. And you can kind of hear a punk band, but most definitely a post-punk sound in all three albums. Yeah, and, I agree. Um, you know, Larry was like, "Listen, I I don't want to do this forever. Like, I don't want to be in this kind of sound forever." 
And they kind of shifted sounds. They kind of went a different direction with the Unforgettable Fire. Yeah. Um, which is the next yeah, album. I, I like, yeah, yeah. So I like this album quite a lot. Mm-hmm. I think the songs I liked were Pride, uh, Unforgettable Fire, the title song, and Indian, Indian Summer Sky. Right. Um, but overall, right. a pretty good album, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, if you go back into that particular album um, with the Unforgettable Fire, um, this was their first partnership with uh, Brian Eno. Um, are you familiar with Brian Eno? Uh, no, I was just actually looking today because I was trying to figure out which album Jimmy Iovine produced. So I was looking at the album and that's why I was right. there. So, okay, but okay. I'm not very familiar with him, I have to be honest with you. Okay, so he started off his career with um, Roxy Music. And okay. um, I think there was some disagreement and he left after the second album and started i think he was doing like the uh, keyboard sounds or something of that right. nature yeah moved yeah. on um and um i've listened to a lot of brian Eno. he's um he has a very atmospheric electronica kind of sound um one of the pioneers in it um he's a big influence on a lot of uh, u2 sound um i've I've always been a fan of Brian Eno and also Steve Lillywhite. So I think it was a very, I think the general progression of the U2 sound is very organic and, and fantastic. Um, And, you know, I think it was something interesting that I read that when you go from, you know, like U2 and the 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 criticism or I, I don't want to say the criticism that you had but you know the things that you had issues with you would say that once they got to the unforgettable fire they had resolved those or no uh not really from i mean i'm only speaking this is only my personal opinion you know yes yes that's <laughs> and you know what that's what i want to hear that's what i want to um, hear i still find it the same you know like not edgy enough not mm-hmm. I don't okay. know how to describe it, man. Um, yeah, I think I like a little bit of edge or, you know, something uh, that appeals to me is, is that kind of thing, like Guns N' Roses or, you know, even early okay. Oasis, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm a rock and roll star, like a little bit of arrogance or, yeah, you know, solo or mm-hmm. something, you know what I mean? I just find you two a little bit plain right. for my taste sometimes, um, even though okay. I like a lot of their songs. Okay. Um, right. I know you say like I can see the little bit of change musically. I can between mm-hmm. Unfor- uh, the first three albums and this one, but for me, it's not right as much a change as I, I would have liked. <laughs> but but okay. I get that from okay. my YouTube fans and you know general population point of view. But you know, right, right, how they became atmospheric rock stars. Uh, you know, eventually mm-hmm. Joshua Tree, but. Mm-hmm. You know, I get that. Uh, right. And, you know, going back, um, and the reason I ask is that you would say that that would be kind of like a journey, right? Like uh, it's a journey from boy to, yes, say, Joshua yes, yes. Tree, right? I can see that and hear that, you know. Right. And I was reading something that was very interesting, that, and it was an interview with um, Noel Gallagher, where he said, like, you know, when he produced – when they made be here now and then their second album was just a massive hit 
and then the few other the albums that preceded you know um looking back uh, you know no particularly wasn't happy with the way they performed or the way it sounded and he said that you know what that's still a journey even though i didn't make it, it didn't go from you know getting better mm. and better and better it's yeah, still a journey yeah. he said if i made you know my latest you know the the last oasis record and started off with that and ended with be here now people would call that a journey but instead i went that way yeah. the other route and i always found that to be a very interesting um you know uh concept that how we don't perceive that sound uh, you know we don't perceive oasis as a journey or the general public doesn't perceive it as a journey yeah i guess i mean in the end of the day you buy music to enjoy it and listen to it um mm-hmm. i'm not sure that mm-hmm. you know you always think about the journey the band is going through as a listener right it's right, uh, it's, right, uh, right. it's a form of entertainment you know or um in yes. some you know sometimes therapy or whatever you know what i mean mm-hmm. but right yeah i can see that i can see that but uh yeah because yeah i always thought like you know going back again be here now i thought it was like wow that's phenomenal you can't touch that man that's like pure oh. genius and even the second album that was like pure genius again like fantastic like they're like you know what we are not only can we do an indie record we can do a stadium rock be, record be here now or you mean uh, definitely maybe right I'm sorry. Definitely, maybe, and, and then the be story, here now. What's the story, Morning? Glory? Yeah, what's the story now? Yeah, what's, what's the story, Morning Glory? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Those two albums. Yes. It's like I can do both. And um, yeah, this, uh, to me, this always uh, that was always an interesting thing. I think the more, uh, you know, the more I listen to music, and the more because I really went in depth with Oasis, the more I can. You know, the more I seem to enjoy the myth of oasis as well as the sound of oasis hmm yeah that's cool that's cool man yeah and i think there it's it becomes more multidimensional with them uh yeah i guess for me it's just uh, they're just disappointing <laughs> because of what they yeah, yeah, yeah. what's the story uh, i like beer now but after that you know but, yeah uh, i think uh, yeah yeah uh but yeah going through like back to you two uh yeah do yeah, you, let's uh, go back. Like in Infor- Unforgettable Fire, did you like the whole album? Like any particular songs? Or? Actually, my favorite song was uh, Sort of Homecoming. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's a good song. Yeah. And uh, and again, like the sound of the, the album itself, YouTube becomes more loose. You know, like when they were tight and now they just become more loose. There's more atmosphere. There's sounds yeah. that can fill in between yes. between the drumming. Um, yeah, this was a good album. It's a, this was a really yeah. good album, for sure. Yeah, so so for me, it's um, and again, you know, when we were talking about the journey, I think uh, it set the way I, as a listener, started to appreciate bands. You know, like when they started off with the tightness, I started to appreciate sounds like Kings of Leon and the Libertines. Yeah, and then when they got into looseness, I started to appreciate Radiohead's Kid A. Or any oh, Wilco albums. Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. I, again, you know, I mean, it's it set the precedent. It set the precedent that's like, oh, that's how I will listen to rock albums going forward. Okay, fair enough. That's interesting, man. That's <laughs> yeah. Cool. And uh, um, and then go on. Yeah. So the next one is the big one, right? Joshua, Joshua Tree. Yes, it is. It is. 
So again, um, tell us, tell us uh, what you thought, and I'll tell you what I thought. Uh, so I've heard most of this album before, but I went through, mm-hmm. I went back, you know, to it after many years. So yeah, I would say it's probably probably their best album ever. Right. Um, obviously, it has you know the the big songs where the streets have new no name and still found mm-hmm. what I was looking for and with or without you. Right. Um, and aside from that, I like the song One Tree Hill. <laughs> which okay. Also, yeah. Also remind me of that uh, that TV series that we we used to watch. <laughs> yeah, the basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, this this is a really good album, and I think I think probably my favorite favorite album, uh, along with War, uh, which is just right. probably just a little bit behind. But yeah, right. Really good, really good album. Yeah, I think the first time I heard where the streets have no name, and it was a very critical time in my life. You know, I think uh, it was a time when I was like, I was just first and foremost, I was just blown away. Like the song just blew me away. I was like, whoa. And it was a time in your life when I was a boy and I was turning into a man, right? Like. Uh, and, uh, and what I mean by man is like, you know, this is where that song for me represented where religion, spirituality, social justice, boyhood, manhood, and desire, they all meet. And I think we as people, we all go through with this. We all go through this, you know, that meaning in life, meaning, mm. uh, meaning of ourselves. And that song for me represented it. It was like yeah. where there was seemingly no hope, there is hope. That's interesting, man. You know, I had the same thing, but for me, the song was "I Still Haven't Found What I Was Looking For." Again, man, what a great but song! Similar, man. yeah. I mean, that and even with or without you, these three, like we mentioned, are mm-hmm. like you said. You know, uh, it makes you think. Uh, philosophy of growing up, of how you fit in the world, yeah. of the world itself. Very right, uh, right. powerful songs, man. Powerful songs. Yeah, I think. Um... You know, uh, when I was listening to I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, I always thought it was a song about spirituality. And, um, yeah, you know, I think when I was at that age, I was like looking outward for answers. But in reality, all the answers are within. Yes, that's true. And uh, that, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And you're I think, absolutely right. Yeah. So for, and that's, I, I guess I made that connection with you too, is that, you know, it's just that, that, time in my life where things for me you know like you two transcended transcend trans, <laughs> they transcended yeah. from you know um just a band to more than more than that and i think it's the same way with you with the beatles you know it 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 wasn't a band it was just more than a band uh yeah i would say guns and roses and the beatles and pearl jam probably mm-hmm. those three Give me that feeling. Yeah. yeah. Like it was, it meant something more. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, It kind of becomes a soundtrack of your life in a way. Yeah, it does. It does. And that's what I always thought about, you know, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Yeah. Uh, overall, the album was great. Um, there is uh, a lot of themes about America in that album. Yeah. And... Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that because um, that kind of continues with the next album too, you know. Yeah. But how do you feel about them kind of, uh, do you think they're trying to appeal to America or was it just like a natural thing that they went to America and they're just writing about uh, things they've seen and experienced because they're now in America? 
I think what they the things they seen and experienced. I think mm. I think it would be the same way as if you did it. Like if you took a road trip from New York City all the way to Los Angeles, yeah, and you kept a journal and you took all the photos, you would feel the same way. Okay. I think if you, especially like, and you know what? Like, I think they in uh, the latter albums they actually recorded uh, a song in the legendary legendary uh, Sun Studios. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Yep. So I think uh, if you took that journey, like you said, okay, you know what? I'm just gonna go from New York City. I'm gonna go to CBGBs, see the birth of punk, and go all the way down. Yeah. And I'm gonna see, witness it all. I think that would be. I could that would be your yeah you would have that similar journey mm. where you try to yeah. figure things out and see which is you know and throwing it back to you you know uh, uh, throwing it back yep. again which i haven't thought about mm. is how come no american musician goes to uk and deals with that hmm i don't know i think a lot of Musicians who make it big here try to break America because it's such a big market, right? Mm-hmm. But artists who are big in America don't really need to cross over to the Europe, you know. Um, and if they do, it's kind of organic because whatever is big in America, eventually, you know, you see on TV, you see on the radio, mm-hmm. it's anyway, uh, most right. of the so it becomes uh, a smaller market, so it's easier to reach uh, people. Right, right. You don't have to come to the UK and start doing mm-hmm. a year of touring to get get across. You can get across other ways. Yeah. Whereas uh, if you flip it the other way around, a band that's big in the UK has to go to America and then do every state, you know, tours, promotion. Mm-hmm. That's a huge, huge country, man, and a big market. Yeah, and you're, and I see what you're saying. Like the, during the process of the, you know, just the touring, you actually develop those ideas. Yeah. You start seeing the roots of music itself, right? Yeah, and the size of the country, right? So the road trip mm-hmm. or the plane ride um, gives you more time in that city. Gives you more time to think. You have mm-hmm. to think about that. I mean, here I can get to Scotland in eight hours in the car. You know what I mean? Right. But you know, here's the thing, right? So, so, so they go back and they listen to the roots of music in both, both uh, the Joshua Tree and Rattle and Hum. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, like, let's say if I went to England, right, and I was a touring musician, you know, I'd go, oh, this is where Abbey Road, this is where the Beatles recorded their songs. Yeah. You know, here's, you know, Liverpool, Stone, Liverpool, Manchester, yeah. Manchester. And London. You know, I go back. Yeah, the Manchester scene. Uh, not only that, let's uh, Birmingham, you know, you know, Black Sabbath. Yeah, Birmingham, uh, Black, Black Sabbath. Then not only that, like trip hop, like all of Massive Attack. You know, I I would go see where all these grimy albums came from. Yeah. You know, like, uh, wh- and fi- and try to make sense because it's a feeling. It's definitely a feeling. Like if you. It, Again, when you go back to listen to Be Here Now, I'm sorry, um, uh, definitely, definitely Maybe. Yeah. You listen to The Stone Roses. You listen to uh, Massive Attack, um, you know, or The Smiths, or, you know, even um, New Order. You get a feeling of where they're coming from. And if you get a feeling of where they're coming from, you want to. Under, then it takes on a different context of the album itself. It takes a different context of the songs itself. 
So I always found it curious, like, okay, why don't American musicians do the same thing? Like, then that's what you two did with both the, the Joshua Tree and Rattlehum is like, take these concepts on to themselves. Yeah, they did, I guess. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, why aren't American musicians doing that? Good question, man. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Mm. Yeah, and again, you know, I mean, if I... Maybe they don't really need to or something. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah, I don't think they, uh, I don't think they really feel the... But that being said, when I've been to Liverpool or Manchester mm -hmm. or... Mm -hmm. I don't really think of the bands, you know what I mean? I'm just in the city. No, no. You, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have that um, atmosphere, like... It's like it's no big deal. Like I've been to Abbey Road many times, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't really feel like crossing that famous, uh, you know, road and taking pictures. I was like, okay, it's just a road crossing, you know. <laughs> right, right. It's like no big deal. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but maybe we're not. Maybe the English are not. They don't have that atmosphere, or they may make a big deal of like, you know, here's a sign. This is where Beatles did this or whatever. It's just kind of yeah, a, in a way. Yeah. And, you know, it's another thing is that I think the British, when they come to America, they, they always have this thing where they say, like, you know, American American musicians aren't treated. Not, I don't want to say treated, but they're not they're not a bigger deal than they should be. Hmm. And what I mean by that is like uh, certain pioneers, um, you know, one of the greatest things, one of the biggest musical genres in the U.K., for a good two, three decades was house music. And house music's origins came from the United States. Uh, blues, blues origins came from the And the British always fawn over that. You know, they, they're like, oh, wow, this is so amazing. This is, you know, Memphis where, you know, uh, Muddy Waters developed this sound. This is yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. you know, I, I think the same way. And, and, you know, I mean, for me, I guess, you know, I would – you know, from going to Manchester, I'd be like, oh, this is this is where the Smiths came up with their sound. I want yeah. to know what it's like, what it feels like. Oh, you know, I think, what is it? Yeah, sorry to break up. Uh, yeah, I think Vampire, Vampire Weekend is a big uh, fan of like Elvis Costello and mm -hmm. certain British bands. And they kind of incorporate, I think a lot of bands incorporate it into the music. Like obviously the Beatles, like obviously. Yeah. But they don't feel like I have to go to Liverpool to see where John Lennon's house is, you know? Yeah. Um, and, then, and now I mean, yeah. it's different, right? Now with globalization and the internet and everything. Yeah. People are less prone to like actually travel to the place and. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Down, you know? But you know what, it, what I think it comes down to? It's I think how culturally British people absorb entertainment as opposed to americans yes uh, uh yeah do you want to elaborate on that so because i don't really know how americans uh, right. absorb and I, so. yeah so when we like i guess when americans listen to certain songs they oh led zeppelin's yeah. great ah it's fantastic it rocks it rocks out man yeah, yeah. beatles it rock out and uh, you yeah. know so many other things but when a British person consumes music, again, it's not, you know, it's not a, and I'm not saying that Americans, all Americans are like this, and I'm not saying all British are like this. Yeah. That's yeah, not yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. I think I'm talking about a general consensus about musicians and music, and, um, and, uh, and I think um, writers themselves, is that when they, 
you know, when they when they hit off when they go to England, when when British musicians come to the United States, the first thing they really want to know is like, where did it come from? How did it get here? And you know, they uh, again uh, going back to house music. You know, when house music started, it was like just this thing that was happening in Chicago. It was like an offshoot of disco. Disco had already died. It was done with. And these guys were spinning house records. Nobody knew about it. Literally nobody in the United States knew about it except for some people from Chicago. Actually, one of the only guys that I have ever heard an American talk about house music was yeah. Nick Anderson, the basketball player from uh, the Orlando Magic. <laughs> yeah, because he grew up in Chicago listening to house music. He did. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And, um, but when it came, uh, for some odd reason, these British DJs got a hold of these records and they started spinning them. And then, you know, it spawned off an entire generation of, you know, you know, musicians. Um, I think U2 looked at it and even New Order looked at it. Pet Shop Boys looked at it and they're like, hey, man, we can make, we should make house records. But no, again, nobody knows about this. Nobody sees it. But it's, it's, it's like when British musicians go out to or consumers, connoisseurs of music, they go to America and they just go and find these things. They go and they the look root. at the history mm -hmm. of everything. You know the strange thing about that is I do the mm -hmm. same thing. I mean, right. I don't go to America, but I was like, okay, who was the first rock and roll star? And then mm -hmm. you arrive at Chuck Berry. And yep. Where did rock come from? Blues. And then you arrive at, you know, Muddy mm -hmm. Waters stuff. And, you know, where did rap come from? And then you, you get to DJ Cool Herc. And then it's like yeah. a journey. It's a journey. Exactly. And I think that it's, again, I'm not trying to, you know, say that all people are like that. I think it's the general curious nature of people that uh, mm. art isn't just for, you know, one-time consumption. consumption. It's yeah. an ongoing journey. And that's what I always say that, uh, that when, once we come back to that kind of, um, it's almost like we British think about it. More. Yeah. You think about it more. Everything matters. Making it like a disposable or, um, you know, elevator or car music. It's like, yeah. You know, where did this come from? Oh yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Now. So everything matters, like everything like makes sense, you know, like it's a, uh, you know, it's, I think, and that's how I always feel that, you know, music should be consumed, you know, that's how music should be, but, you know, to each his own, I guess, you know, not everybody thinks. Yeah. That, it depends know. on the person's, you know, mm -hmm. um, individual nature and what they're into. Yeah. You I think, know. yeah, I think so too. How um, seriously do they take it, you know? Exactly. A lot of people don't take music seriously at all. So it's just background filler. Yeah, a lot of people do. So it's uh, it's different. You know? Yeah, and so I think that's and I think going back into it, like you know, that U two is so fascinated by, you know, America and myth, uh, you know, real America and the mythical America, and to this day they are. To this day they are. You know, they still, they still, listen to hip hop records like. None of us listen to it. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really big here. Yeah, really big. You know, they deep dive into stuff, and you know, yeah. our for us, it's just a, it's just a one-time consumption. 
you know, it, I guess the Beatles being the exception, right? Like yeah. America love Paul McCartney. <laughs> yeah, they do, they do, they do. <laughs> the Beatles. Yeah, they do. Everything that the Beatles do is like untouchable. Uh-huh. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess because it made such an impact on, on, uh, on them. And the funny thing is that the British look at it and go, "Well, there's even, there's way more stuff out there, and we can do it. You know, we can go research it, look at it, and come back and do something completely different." Yeah, fair enough, man. So yeah, yeah. we're just. Um, I think uh, an environment provides you know, a catalyst for making music. And I think that sometimes that, and yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes going to see that environment, going to feel that way would kind of derive some sort of inspiration for you mm-hmm. to create something new. Definitely, man. I mean, you know, uh, as I say, travel brings experience. So Right, right. Right. And so should we go on to rattle and hub? Yeah, Rattle and Hum. So, um, you know that this album consisted of uh, live tracks and also a few. Yeah. Yep. I didn't really dig this album, man. I understood. Yeah. It's one of their, in the 80s, it was one of their worst performing albums. Oh, it was? Oh, I yeah. Know. But I really like Desire, though. Desire was, really yeah, it's a great song. And uh, what did you think of Angel of Harlem and the B.B. King song? Uh, I like the BB King song quite a lot. When love comes to town, I think. Yes, or yes. When love goes to town or whatever. Yeah, that was a really good song. The, the songs were alright. Like the covers, it was mm-hmm. mainly a lot of covers. Yeah. But that was probably the best one from all the covers. Right. When love comes to. Town. Um, how did you feel about the uh, accompany? You know, I mean, they made a documentary that was that was supposed that comes with this album. Yeah, Jimmy Iovine produced the album and the documentary. How did you did, have you seen any of the uh, documentary at all? I have not, no, because um, I've always been a casual fan, so I didn't. Okay, okay. And got to that uh, watching that. Uh, have you seen it? I guess you have, right? Yeah, I actually I did see it a few years back um, because you know thanks to YouTube, it's just hard to find the documentary itself, but uh, I found it on, and um, it's. It can sound pretentious, you know. It's just a bunch of guys going to the U.S. and going like, "Oh my God!" Just blown away by BB King, blown away by anything and everything. Yeah, I felt I don't know. They're trying a little too hard in this album, right? Like, right. They want acceptance into, I don't know, U.S. or mm-hmm. whatever, a new market or whatever. Yeah. And, hey, look at us. We're with BB King. Look at us. We're doing Jimi Hendrix cover or whatever. You yeah. Know. And I think uh, not enough original songs on this album. Right, right. Desire obviously was a great song, but they should have done like at least a few more original songs and maybe made the covers as a separate album. Yeah, I think. I think, and you know, it goes back to a, a discussion you and I are having on WhatsApp one time, and we were talking about like how far can you go artistically and still make something that resonates with with the general public. Yeah without alienating the fans how far can you go and this was i think one of those directions where they went they just generally alienated their fans yeah so this actually caused them to completely change the style in the 90s yeah Uh, which you know i think uh we will uh sometime in the future we'll get into the 90s um uh 90s uh u2 
yeah. I think it's a big, it's a, it's a lot of, it's a lot of albums. And I thought, and that, that was one of the reasons I broke it down. I said, you know what? There's a different sound. There's a different thing that comes from the eighties as opposed to the nineties. And I think it's important that we listen to it that way. And I, th- yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. Cause um, I've went through all the albums. Mm-hmm. So I've just got the last two, which are songs of experience and songs of uh, innocence, innocence yep. which are very recently, like 2017, mm-hmm. 15, whatever. And then I'm done with you too. So yeah. I can see like almost there's three decades and each decade almost has like a different sound to it. Yes, it does. It does. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think if we were to ever do the Beatles, I think it would be very important that we should go pre-Rubber Soul and post-Rubber Soul. Rubber Soul. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like two different bands. It's, it really is two different bands. It's just a complete shift. And um, again, you know, I think it's one of those things where you know, they they went off on a different musical journey and a different tangent, and the fans still followed. Yeah. And I think that's hard to yeah, do. Yeah, it's hard to do. Problems. It's really, really hard to do. And I think it was their genius that they were able to tap into the cultural zeitgeist of both UK and the United States and go somewhere there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think it comes from the aspect where, you know, like they they come into the point where like, okay, and it's the thing with rock and roll or any type of musical genre, you come to the point where I, I can't go anywhere. I can't go anywhere except this route. This is the only way I can go. Yeah. And you go that route. And if the fans, fans want to go, they'll go. Yeah. You got to follow your, uh, organic natural journey and then exactly whatever happens happens man yeah. and it's a different <laughs> well i guess some bands don't do that though like you were mentioning i think uh in a conversation we we're having that uh acdc have been making the same album all their life yeah it's the same al- <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> and it's true i mean uh, i mean i i don't know what to say like it's not and you know they they say it. Uh, it's a formula that's worked for us yeah, well, yeah, they sell a lot of records, man. Sell, I was looking it up. Yeah. I was surprised. Yeah. I was like, whoa, whoa, okay. <laughs> and they put on a live great act, and that's how they get there. Oh, fair enough, man. Everyone's different, I guess. Everyone is different. That's for sure. <laughs> cool, man. So uh, do you want to – we had a question. Uh, should I uh, get into that? Yeah, let's if, get into if it. If you're done with a Raul and Hum. So, uh, yeah, there's a question from uh, Beta uh, Xavier Z. Mm-hmm. Um, about the uh, movie Killing Bono. Um, so he was asking whether the movie is true to life. Um, so first of all, the movie is um, about a band that uh, was in uh, school with you two, mm-hmm. or friends with you two, and they were kind of um, starting their musical journey as kids at the same time as you two. And one of the band members, Ivan McCormick, was in you two for a couple, mm-hmm. couple of weeks or whatever. <laughs> So uh, I guess first question is, did you get a chance to uh, see this movie? Yes, actually, I watched it last night. Oh, cool. cool. What did you think? Um, it was pretty entertaining. I would say it's entertaining. Um, yeah. You know, I think it does deviate from the plot of the book. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to read the book, but uh, it's uh, uh, yeah. the book itself has become a kind of a lore of sorts, right? Yeah, I think Elton John said it was his favorite book about anyone trying to get into the music industry. Exactly. Ever. So I I praise there. Right? Yeah. I want to yeah, read same it. Same here See, now. Now I really want to read it. What the real story is. Um, so going back to the question from Beta, the 
you know, there were quite a few deviations from the actual mm-hmm. story. Uh, one was that Ivan McCormick, uh, the younger brother, you know, was supposed to be in U2 and uh, his older brother kind of pulled him out of it to join his band. Mm-hmm. But that actually isn't true. So the he was in U2 because he had the best guitar yeah. and the Edge wanted a guitar and he was 13 years old. He was right. too young. So he was in U2 for a few weeks and then they were playing a pub and he was too young to play. Oh, okay, okay. So they said, sorry, man, you can't, <laughs> you can't come. You're out of the band. Right, right, right. And uh, that was about it. That was his, uh, you know, little stint mm-hmm. in U2. So obviously that wasn't true. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they kind of show that, you know, the band could have been uh, really big and stuff like that. You know, the McCormick mm-hmm. brothers. Um, they did have a few chances, but they weren't really ever going to make it, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it was a great movie about f- almost like failing in the to make it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is the main theme of the movie. Right. It just, uh, yeah, go um, on. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was quite a, kind of funny. They, they made it funny. Yeah, you know? they did make it funny. Um, again, you know, I think it just reminds us that, you know, you could be great musicians, but if you can't connect, you can't connect. Yeah, you know what? Uh, there was a line in uh, Star is Born where, mm-hmm. um, you know, the lead character's brother says, you stole my voice. He goes, I didn't steal your voice. You had nothing to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of great singers. There's a lot of great singers who never make it, but it's saying something that other people are going to listen right, to. Right, right. You know what I mean? Having something to say. It's not always about technical, how good your voice is or how good your mm-hmm. guitar playing is or whatever. Mm-hmm. You have to connect, right. like you said, you know what I mean? And that isn't easy right. to do. And only 1% or 2% of mm-hmm. people ever do it, you know? Yeah. On a, on a big exactly. scale, on a big scale. So, I mean, U2 is just like the way they, it's kind of phenomenal, like where they came from, this, mm-hmm. this school in Ireland. Um, to becoming one of the biggest rock bands in, yeah. you know, in the world. Um, they, they, you know, I think um, going back to when you said, uh, you know, if you don't, if you don't have, you don't have a, um, you don't have nothing to say. I've always uh, been curious, and I wanted to know your opinion that um, both Noel and uh, Liam can sing. Why did they never make a song where they're yep. both singing together? Okay, they did. Oh, it wasn't very really good. okay. Hmm. Yeah, uh, it was in the later later albums. Uh, I can't remember what the song was called. Some "Let There Be Love." Or yeah. Love oh yeah, that was. Oh, I think I I, th- I remember that when I said, "Oh, that was like the worst ripoff of the Beatles I've ever heard." Of. <laughs> yeah, they did like a couple of worse verses each, but it didn't really. Yeah. Work. I think they could have done. They could have done more. I think just uh, maybe, but I, I kind of like it when one guy's the lead and the other really? guy's kind okay. of backing. Yeah, I mean, even if you look at the Beatles, right? They never had a verse each. They either. did harmonies, though, right? Yeah, they did harmonies. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they didn't do like I'll do this first, then you right, do the right. next first. They didn't do. It was always one guy was always okay. in the lead. Always, like even if it was George, right? It was always okay. like this is your song. We'll do the okay, chord, okay. the harmonies. Um, it wasn't like the Beastie Boys. 
Yeah. <laughs> no. I, you know, again, um, I I like that sound. I do. I I always like like two singers. You know, like you do harmonies, and then one singer, one singer harmonies, one singer, one singer. You know, uh, I always find it, especially if they're good. If they're really good, then it sounds really. True. I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff. So I was, yeah, okay. I always wondered okay. why they never cool. did more songs like that. But I guess they took the Beatles route. I guess so. Yeah, they were their heroes. Yeah, they were. So um, coming to conclusion. Uh, so overall, what did you think? Uh, this is difficult, man. I mean, I still think you two are a little overrated. Okay. To be honest with no, you. No, no, understood. So has it made me more of a fan? Yeah, it has. Okay. But I'm still a casual fan. I'm not going to go through every album again here yeah, yeah understood understood um but it has you know brought a few more tracks that i've probably never heard of before mm-hmm. to light you know and i'll probably revisit those tracks okay that's for sure okay and it made me appreciate a little bit more but um overall i still don't i still don't understand why they're as big as they are but yeah you know who, who am i you know what i mean no. <laughs> the, the, the population doesn't lie they're Critics don't lie, you know, it's, it's a huge yeah. band. But. I think for every one person that thinks U2 is like the most genius thing ever on this planet, there's another person that's like, I don't get it. Yeah, I guess I'm one of those yeah. guys. <laughs> and uh, I think it really comes down to, and I can see this too, is, you know, The Edge sounds the same in every single song. And um, Bono can be very insufferable. <laughs> yeah, it's not just his. Um, it, I think when people see him being earnest, they see him being like uh, pretentious. Also, at the same, yeah, pretentious. Yeah, I feel they're a little pretentious, like Bono and the Edge. Yeah, Bono especially. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, when he's really just trying to be, I'm just trying to be earnest, man. Uh, and I can see that, like he's just, oh, he's just doing it. Oh, he's just oh, he's so annoying. Like, when is the real him gonna come out? <laughs> yeah, you know, I can see that. I can definitely see that. How people would because I think I was watching a video of theirs. You know, where uh, where the streets have no name. Yeah, and in that video, they had instead of you know, I think it was a, a Beatles song that had the same thing where they're doing on the rooftop in London. Was it London or Liverpool? Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. They did get back in a few songs. I think it was yeah. in London. Okay. So and when you look at the, and it was the contrast to that video, they did theirs in Los Angeles. Yeah. And uh, contrast to that video was like, it was a cold day when the Beatles were doing it. They were all in their coats. And, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the sky was overcast. And this one, they're like, the entire, they did it in Los Angeles. They were shirtless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're tanning and they're playing. And I think in that, you know, in that one video where, you know, Bono's singing and he's looking into the crowd and things like that, he was, I think he was generally being earnest, but I don't think people saw it. They're like, <laughs> oh, what a. Yeah, what a know, poser. Yeah. Yeah, what a pretentious D bag poser. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, yeah, I get it. I do get that. I, I can see that happening where even, you know, even I as a longtime fan, I'm like, yeah, this gets a little weird. Yeah, there you have it, man. You too. Yep. All right. So um, before we do wrap up, I'm just going to share some news. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but uh, one of our favorite rap groups, De La Soul. 
Um, and I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, if you ever go down to any of the streaming sites just prior to, I think, uh, two weeks ago or maybe last week, um, the first six albums of De La Soul were not on any streaming site. Okay. So Tommy Boy, who has all the rights to the masters, is saying that, okay, we're going to release them now on all the streaming sites. And uh, De La Soul will only get 10%. Oh, of all revenue, that's only ten. That's yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it does suck, and uh, so there's a protest going on, where um, you know people are saying Tom, ban Tommy Boy, which is uh, you know Tommy Matola's record label, and they're like, no, we're not. We you're not going to listen to any of the first uh, albums because they're only offering them ten percent of their revenue. So uh, I think uh, again. Okay. I love those first few albums. They're great, man. Especially like Three Feet and Rising. Uh, I think that's that's the only one I've heard, really. Okay, okay, yeah. Those, uh, I think, back in the Riyadh days, that was on. Uh, who had? Do you remember anybody having that album? I, I uh, no, I heard it when I got to England. My cousins had it. Uh, is that the one okay. that got that telephone song? Hello, what's your number or whatever? I think that's it. I don't know, but uh, that was a good album. But yeah, I haven't heard a Del Sol like in its entirety, to be honest with you. Yeah, if you um, if you ever check it out, like they they broke the blueprint for much of the '90s underground rap scene. Yeah, I was interested in. Uh, it's funny you say that they weren't on those streaming sites. I never knew why, because right. I was listening to a Tribe Called Quest. So I was, you know, doing the whole native tongues. Yes, band. yes. Uh, so I was like, oh, let me check uh, De La Soul because you know I I like some of their songs back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, three is a magic number, or whatever. Yeah. So I, I was like, let me let, let me listen to the albums, and I was like, oh, wait, there's no albums here on Spotify and other sites. Mm-hmm. And when you just told me, like, now it makes sense why those first few albums are not. Yeah. We're not online, you know, online. Yeah. So um, that unfortunately, that's what's going on. You know, I hope they get it resolved, and I guess I hope that uh, De La Soul, you know, makes uh, revenue out of this kind, these kind of uh, albums. But, yeah. uh, you know, my feeling is, my gut feeling is that uh, maybe 10 people will listen to this these first six albums in the United States and uh, half of England will listen to these first six albums. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how it goes down. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, again, you know, I mean, I think uh, I'm not trying to discredit our American listeners. I think uh, that it's it's just not, it's not part of, you know. It's not Jay-Z. Yeah, yeah it's not Jay-Z. <laughs> So, um, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, again, they wrote the blueprint for it, and it's such a great, great songs to go back to, great albums to go back to, and fun. They're just fun loving, fun albums, and fun loving people. So, I hope they get their issue resolved, and I hope they get more than 10% of the revenues from the streaming. Yeah, me too, man. They deserve it. Awesome. So uh, I guess we'll sign off now. So just before we sign off, remember that we're on iTunes, uh, Stitchers, Spotify, SoundCloud, CastBox, Pocket, Pocket Cast, and Player FM. So if you uh, just search for iRock City podcast, mm-hmm. uh, it should come up. Otherwise, uh, hit us up on our Facebook page. And uh, yeah, thanks for everyone who's listening. And uh, Imran, I guess uh, let's sign off. Yeah, I just yeah, uh, I just wanted to add, uh, please, guys, please leave us a rating mm-hmm. as well. Uh, yeah absolutely feedback is always appreciated if you got something bad to say don't say anything at all (laughs) (laughs) but yes please do leave us a rating
All right, guys. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. Peace. Peace.